It's going to be a good text. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. If you're not very good at memorizing verses, I would encourage you to memorize this one. It's very short, very sweet, to the point. And it's only like eight words. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Oh, foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Okay, number one. If the Lord is calling you foolish, A, he's got more information than we do. B, he's God. C, it's a call to repentance. See, the Lord is not in the business of name-calling. He's not in the business of getting in, 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 in petty arguments with his creation. He's not a God who stoops down to our level. When the Lord uses a man like Paul to say something like this, Oh, foolish Galatians, it's a call to repentance. It's an opportunity to no longer be foolish. It's an opportunity to look at what you've been doing and come out of that. Unfortunately, it's also an opportunity to be stubborn, to harden your hearts, to continue further into the folly you might be in. This is the call out of Paul to the Galatians church. This is him saying, hey, at this moment, you have a choice to make. Keep going in your foolishness or repent of your foolishness. Because the first two chapters has been all about the foolishness of the Galatians. All the things that they were saying and doing and following and teaching and promoting and encouraging was foolishness. They had taken the gospel that Paul had given them as a foundation few, maybe two decades before, maybe not even that long. And they had manipulated it and corrupted it and commercialized it and allowed bad teaching to come in and bad doctrine to come in and bad theology to come in and completely change the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul comes in and says, hey, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? If you're familiar with marketing and sales, there is a great deal of emphasis on fooling you into thinking you need a particular item or product. Let's just go with something as simple as laundry detergent. They're all the same. I mean, come on. But you watch the commercials. No, this one's got stain lifting power. Oh, stain lifting power. My, this one has oxygen. Oxygen. Oh my, oh my goodness. This one's dye free. That's actually a pretty good one because I have sensitive skin. This one's got this. This one smells like a meadow. This one smells like a, ba a banana. This one smells like this. It's laundry detergent. But marketing, marketing wants to tell you, hey, you have to have this. Your life will be different. Next thing you know, we're going to Target. Oh, got to have the banana scented fabric softener or laundry detergent. You know, then my life will be complete. Now, no, nobody does that. But there's sort of this underlying pull because we have been bewitched. Here's what happens with the Galatian church. They don't have the billion-dollar industry of marketing like we do, but they had men who came in and said, oh, yeah, Jesus is good, but we've got something better. Nobody stepped up and said, what's better than Jesus? 
you're wrong. Everybody said, well, we want to hear this. What do you got? Well, there's this thing called circumcision. First off, if you can sell circumcision, you get salesman of the year award. If you can sell that, well, they came in and, well, you need Jesus and circumcision. Okay, people started lining up. You need Jesus and you need sacrifice. You need Jesus and you need to worship at a specific time on a specific day. You need to observe certain times and seasons. You must do all these external things and have Jesus. And Paul writes to them saying, whoa, what? I wrote, I told you about Jesus, the one who fulfills all of these things so that now we can by faith follow after Jesus, follow after God and be forgiven of our sins. That, that we were sin, sinful and corrupt. Uh, we, we, were, we were bad in every sense, but Jesus comes in good in every sense, takes upon the sins of the world upon himself on the cross, dies for your sins, my sins, our sins so that we may be forgiven, that we may be reconciled to our father. Like the prodigal son, we can come back home and find a a father with his arms open, waiting to just embrace us, because we have come in repentance. We have come forsaking our past to embrace God's future. But the Galatians, the Galatians were a lot like Americans. Quick to just jump on anything. You ever go on YouTube and just find the videos that people are all all into? And I'm not, I'm not going to put myself above anybody. I do the same thing. You find a video, like, oh, this is a funny video. I got to share this with everybody. Oh, my gosh, this is an amazing video. Did you see the cat? The cat was doing the thing, and he thinks he's people. He's a cat. I got to share this with people. But some of the things, as, as soon as they are popular, oh, this is a, a viral video. Uh, a week later, they're gone. A week later, we don't care anymore. Oh, yeah, that video? Pfft. I saw that about a thousand times. I got this new video, though. I got this new video. Let me show you this one. Now a dog. A dog is doing something. It's like, oh, okay. So fickle. We're so fickle. The Galatians were fickle. So quick to latch on to anything new without really investigating the content, the purpose, to see whether it was pure or holy, to see if it was even the gospel. Somebody would come in with a new teaching. Oh, it's the new teaching. It must be good because it's new. Not everything's good just because it's new. I've gotten around the block a few times, not a whole bunch, not as many as some of you, but I've gotten around a couple times. And I'm noticing that some of the products that were sold today were sold to my parents just a few decades ago in a different wrapper with a different slogan. They're the same thing. These men come in, they're not preaching anything really brand new, but it's new as opposed to the truth of Christianity. It's outside. It's different. And they want to infuse it. Know that when, when bad doctrine and theology, which is just fancy words for what we believe about God through the Bible, what we teach and what we believe, it generally doesn't come opposing the Bible. It comes to latch onto, in a, in a parasitic way, to latch onto the Bible, to suck the life out of it. Because, because false teaching has no life in it, not like the Bible does. So it cannot exist on its own. It's got to latch onto the truth. You have folks who, they want, to, they want to change what God has said to approve what they do, whatever the sin might be. That is, that is a parasitic way of teaching the Bible. You're bringing your teaching, latching it onto the Bible, and then trying to change the Bible. 
I praise God that the Bible's eternal. It's not just timeless, it's timely. That means it's, it's existed forever. Before it was written on a page, it still existed. If you were to destroy this book right here, the word of God still exists. So Paul, excuse me, Paul is busy scraping away all of this garbage to get back to the foundation, to get back to the gospel. Here's what many of you will, will, will sit down and have a debate. What our country needs, what our state needs, what our city, what our families need, what we need is to return to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not this brand of gospel, not this brand of theology, but the gospel found in the Bible without adding to it, without taking from it. When you find error and folly in the Bible, as we do here in Galatians chapter 3, it's because they've added to it. And, and with the Bible, when you add to it, you actually take from it. It's this, it's this weird mathematical thing. I can't get my mind around it. But when you add something to the gospel of Jesus, you take away the gospel of Jesus. You don't make it bigger or better. You ruin it. And we don't want to do that. We want to just share the gospel as it is. So verse 1, we're going to read through to verse 6. Here we go. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? He's called them foolish two times now. You got to imagine that for the Galatian church, getting a letter from Paul, it's a letter from Paul. Let's all read it in front of the church. And you get to this part, you're like, oh man, called us fool two times. Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness? A lot of questions there. A lot of repetitive questions. Paul's repeating himself. Whenever the Bible repeats itself, that's an important question. For God to ask something once, that's important. For him to reiterate it, to say it again, to ask over and over, we should pay attention. It's because we as people, we need to be asked a lot. Let's pray. Jesus, your word is good. And we don't take it lightly. I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your wonderful and perfect word that it would come in, correct and rebuke, but that we'd leave in peace, that we'd leave in, in furthering of that sanctification that you've, that you've started in us. For those that don't know Jesus today, that they'd know Jesus, and that process would begin here and now. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. See, our country knows that there is a gospel, but the country, our country specifically, our state, our, you know, our city, needs to know the gospel. You, you can't bring your own flavor. You know, when holidays come up, when we have a potluck next week, people are gonna bring, some people are going to bring the same dish. And they're going to be different. They might even have the same ingredients. They're going to be prepared in a different way. And that's okay. We'll just eat all of it. But the gospel must remain the same. The message of Jesus must remain the same. Now, we can make some differences. Okay, I can come up to you very somber and quiet and preach this message without ever changing the tone of my voice, script it out, make sure that next year at this time I'm preaching the same message. And that's okay. I'm not, I'm not saying anything against that. It's just not what I like to do. It's not how I'm made. I, I, think, I know many of you would probably fall asleep 
Many of you already are. So I'm trying to keep you awake. Come on. We can be different, diverse, while still walking the same path. As long as the message never changes. So when you start taking away the foundational truths of Jesus, the ones we find in the Bible that are unchangeable, his virgin birth, the existence of hell, the existence of heaven, the Trinity, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the fact that God the Son came down to this earth and died for our sins. Those, if you don't change those, and, and, but we look different, we're still on the same team. You wear a suit, I wear jeans, but we're on the same team. But what has happened, that's not what's happened here. And that's why Paul's calling them fools. This word bewitched, um, it doesn't mean what we might first think that it implies, that it, there's somehow witchcraft is involved, or someone's come in and held a seance, or someone has been uh, you know, trying to bring up evil spirits. While evil spirits might be involved, this isn't exactly what Paul's talking about. What Paul's talking about is, is being conned. How many people here have ever been conned? If you've ever been to the state fair, you've probably been conned. Um, any kind of state fair, any kind of county fair where they're selling something. M maybe you get stuck at the booth where they say, hey, this is because this is where I got caught. Hey, sign up for this uh, interest-free credit card and we'll give you a t-shirt. We'll give you a thermos. I remember one year they gave us this really cool thermos. It was, it was like an igloo thing where you could put your Kool-Aid in there and you could just drink it all day. It'd be nice and cold. Yeah, I'll get a credit card. You give me a thermos? Sure. I'll take your $3 thermos and give you hundreds of dollars in interest and fees. Sure. That's a great deal. Conned. You got an electric mop? Show me about your electric mop. How does that work? Oh, it's an electric mop. You, you plug it in and you dip it into the water and you, your floors look great. I'm sold. Oh, you get two of them? Buy one, get one free today? Conned. That's what's happened to the Galatians. Someone's come in, talked fancy to them, talked fast to them, sounded spiritual sounded Jesus-y, but ultimately changed the gospel, and here they are in a world of hurt because Paul is coming to rebuke them. Nobody likes to be rebuked. But when you love someone, you will if they are in folly, if they are being foolish, if they are doing foolish things. You will rebuke them. Hey, what are you doing? Well, I just think that if I plant this seed, if I give, sow this seed, um, then God will give me a bunch of stuff. What are you doing? Yeah, if I, the guy on TV told me if I gave $48, then God will give me a yacht. You live in an area that's landlocked. Why do you want a yacht? Well, because I want a yacht. They're big and they're expensive. How, are you going to pay for the taxes on those? Taxes? What about registration? Registration? I just want my stuff. Give me my stuff. I give you, okay, then not a boat. I want the mansion. Why? But I'm just going to sow my seed. What are you doing? If you love someone, you will rebuke them and say, that's not the gospel. That's not Jesus. That's a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> that's not Jesus. So Paul says, who has bewitched you? When it comes to bad theology and doctrine, that's usually what happens. We get conned. Someone comes in, they look the part, they sound the part, they have the right words, but then they bring in a bad teaching, and the next thing you know, we're believing something that's not true. 
You're believing something that's not just a variation, but you're believing something that's just completely wrong. And you're probably not seeing any profit in your life. See, when you believe in Jesus, your life changes. Not necessarily from bad to good, although it does in many areas. Sometimes it goes from harder from hard to harder because now you're living for Christ and you have integrity and you know he's called you out on a few things and you can't do the things you used to do. Um, but knowing Jesus changes you. It changes how you operate your business. It changes how you, how you are a husband or a wife. It changes how you parent. It changes just about everything about you. It changes how you talk. It changes how you give and why you give. And there are people ready to take advantage of that. We've got to be prepared. The Galatian church, we get to see their example of folly as a warning to prevent a lot of pain in our own lives and to know Jesus better. One of the things for the Galatians, one of the things that really became a stumbling block for them was they were moved by experience and they were moved by emotion. Some churches, some denominations, some just teachings are seen through the filter or seen through the lens of an experience or an emotion rather than the truth. So they'll tell you a story. This happened. Okay. Um, and this happened. And it usually involves the demonic. And a demon comes and says something. You can, you can find these all on YouTube and everything else. The demon came in and said this. And this is my experience, so it must be the truth. Okay. But it goes against God's word. Yeah, but you don't know my experience. True, but I know God's word. I also know demons lie. I also know that Satan is the father of liars. He's the father of lies. See, I, I see everything through the lens of the Bible. I'm, I try to be a healthy skeptic. If you were to come and tell me this is the experience I had, I would look at it through the lens of the Bible and say, okay, that lines up with God's word or it doesn't. And there are those who say, no, the experience, the emotion that I felt, you don't understand how I felt. You can be really passionate about the wrong thing. You can be really sincerely, genuinely invested in something that's wrong. The emotion doesn't make something true. The experience doesn't make something true. The truth makes something true. And Jesus is our truth. And so Paul calls them foolish. How were they foolish? How were you foolish? How am I foolish? I got a big list for myself. Um, but we're going to look at this in the biblical aspect. We're going to look at the ways that they were foolish just by going through these few verses and, and, and recollecting a little bit of the first few chapters. So first is we avoid the cross. Verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Some folks preach a message without the cross of Christ. The gospel minus the cross is no gospel. One of the reasons why we, we put a cross here is to remind us of the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice he's not on the cross anymore. So it's not just a symbol of death, it's a symbol of victory. But there are folks who just preach and preach and preach and the cross of Jesus is never mentioned. 
we I had the privilege of of going to see and and hear and listen and 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 just be be taught by a man named Ravi Zacharias. And if you don't know who he is, uh, he's pretty awesome. His his whole thing is apologetics. And if you don't know what that means, it's okay. It basically means teaching why you believe what you believe. So in Christian apologetics, it's it's teaching the Bible. And um, he made a remark that you can't have your best life now without the cross of Christ. Not to be too blunt, but I almost wet myself when he said that. I was so excited. That's exactly the message that we need to hear. That the cross of Christ is not just a part of the story, it's essential to the story. We see everything. We benefit from God because of the cross. You today are here today living and breathing and experiencing Jesus and feeling his Holy Spirit and knowing the truth because Jesus died on a cross. Because he broke down the veil between you and him. It was torn from top to bottom that you may gain access to God. And that's all purchased through the cross of Jesus Christ. And without it, by avoiding it, because it's bloody, because it's gruesome. Nobody wants to talk about the cross because it's not, it's not the most beautiful, in a sense, moment. But I tell you, without it, everything we have does not exist. We have no relationship with Jesus. We have no, no, no uh, uh, spirituality, if you will, without the cross of Christ. We cannot avoid it. The Galatians were avoiding it. They had, they, had, they had heard the gospel. It was as though Jesus was crucified before them. That's how Paul puts it. Paul says, the way I preach to you, it's as though you were there. And now they're avoiding it. The cross of Christ has just been diminished or, or just taken out. As I said before, adding to the cross, which is Jesus died on a cross for your sins and you must have church on Sunday. You must go to church on Sunday and then you are saved. That's foolishness. That's avoiding the cross. That's taking away the cross. If the cross is not sufficient, then Jesus died for no reason. Either the cross is all sufficient to reconnect God to man or it's not. We don't need to help God by giving him, God, you, that was a good start. The cross was a good start. Make sure that thing ain't falling on me. It's heavy. That was a good start, Lord. But here, let us help you out. Let us help you, God. Let us, let us do good works. Let us give to our neighbors and, and, and complete the gospel. The cross is enough or it's not. That's one way to be foolish. Number two, we avoid suffering. I don't know how you look at the cross without at least acknowledging the suffering aspect of it. Yes, it's empty. Yes, it's gone. Yes, Jesus conquered it. But it also involved a lot of suffering. 700 years before Jesus actually did this a man by the name of Isaiah, a prophet, foresaw by the by the moving of God's spirit, saw Jesus, the suffering servant, saw him dying for the sins of the world, for the iniquities, for the transgression of the people. 
In the Psalms, you see stories of, 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 of Jesus being pierced. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions and our iniquities. Paul says in verse 4, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? You know what the only thing worse than suffering is? Suffering for no reason. Or wasting your suffering. If you've ever put something together that was very strenuous. I mean, you had every tool. You borrowed tools. You got everything laid out. And you go to put it all together. And when you're all done, it doesn't work or it doesn't, it's not right. Like oh, All that work for nothing. All that work for nothing. Paul says, all your suffering, was it for nothing? Church, suffering is not an if question. It's a when question. I'm sure if I were to talk to you all individually, you would tell me about times after meeting Jesus where you suffered. And I'm here to tell you today, by avoiding the suffering, you are avoiding the blessing of knowing Jesus through suffering. God allows us to suffer that we may know Jesus better. I can relate to parents who have kids with leukemia because I am suffering through that right now. I can suffer well or I can suffer poorly. I can try to avoid it. And my son doesn't have leukemia. Or I can say, you know what? The Lord has us on this path. And I'm going to walk it. I can avoid the suffering and miss out on the blessings. The people that I've come to know and meet, the people who have blessed my life, I can avoid that or I can embrace it. And I'm here to tell you today to embrace the suffering. Don't be afraid of it. Nobody likes it. We live in a country where we spend billions, billions to avoid suffering. How many people have a Keurig? You have a Keurig? I have a Keurig. I love it. I noticed the other day it was taking nine seconds as opposed to eight seconds. And I was suffering for a second more than I should. There was a second more between me and coffee. I spent, it was actually a gift, but that invention was to alleviate waiting the three minutes for your pot of coffee. Millions of dollars were spent researching and developing this tiny little coffee thing that you can put in a machine that costs you $100 or so to make yourself a cup of coffee in nine seconds as opposed to three minutes. We spend billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. We want to avoid suffering. Pharmaceutical in industry. Billions of dollars to give us medications to avoid suffering. And we're sicker than we've ever been. And we're sadder than we've ever been. And more depressed than we've ever been. That doesn't add up. More medicine has not meant more happy. It hasn't meant less suffering. This includes Christians who badly steward their money by giving it to men who will promise them through the gospel they will avoid suffering. 
If you give into my ministry, the Lord will bless you. And what the person wants to hear is, if you give me money, you won't hurt anymore. See, I'm not here to diminish the pain. Some of you are hurting and going through things that, that, that are literally ripping your heart out of your chest. I get that. But it's foolish to try to avoid it by giving to somebody who's going to promise you, through a lie, by the way, that you don't have to suffer. The Bible is chock full of verses. I could go on and on and on that we were counted worthy to suffer. That's what the, that's what the, the men in the book of Acts said when they were beaten and flogged for preaching the gospel. They walked away saying, we were counted worthy to suffer like Christ did. They saw it as a blessing with backs bloody and broken and bruised. They, 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 were, they were pleased. I'm sure they were limping. I'm sure they were bleeding. I'm sure that it stung as it healed and they were sore and they hurt, but they counted it a blessing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Don't mix into here foolish suffering. Pastor Tony, I'm just, I'm suffering. Why? Why are you suffering? I don't have enough money to pay the rent. Oh, that, that's bad. Why? Well, I went to the casino. Bah, bah, bah. Okay. That's, that's not biblical suffering. That's foolishness. That's, you made a bad choice, pal. Don't take your rent money to the casino. Okay. Now God will get you through that. God is merciful and graceful, but that's not exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about when a thousand bills come in that you didn't anticipate. And you don't even know where they came from. And you're like, I don't have enough money for these. I thought this was covered by my insurance. I thought this was going to be covered by this, but now they're telling me it's not. You ever had that happen? Go to the doctor. Insurance is like, oh, yeah, we pay for everything. And then you get a bill later. Like, no, we paid for everything but, you know, this large chunk. Like, oh, I did not know about this. Suffering. We are foolish when we neglect or we abuse the Holy Spirit. Here's what I'm finding. That there are a lot of folks in our area, the, the church as a whole, but in our area specifically, whom have come in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, now use that in quotations, and abused Christians. They've come in, they've thrown their weight around, they've promised the moon, and then left. Some remain still trying to preach the same garbage message, but what they've done is they have tainted, or at least a, through their best efforts, sullied the Holy Spirit. And in response, folks have run away from the Holy Spirit. So, no, I want no part of that. If that's the Holy Spirit, I want no part of him. Some will even say, They'll go back to the Bible, change the Bible. No, those gifts and miracles don't exist. Because if they exist and the Holy Spirit exists and the Holy Spirit exists, I have to go through this pain again. Here's the problem. The problem is not the Holy Spirit. The problem is the bad givers of the Holy Spirit or the bad teachers of the Holy Spirit. I saw this and I saw that and it didn't feel right and I can't find it in the Bible. Then it's probably not right. If it is not glorifying Jesus, then it is not the Holy Spirit. Let that be a rule of thumb for you. If something is happening and it's being said that it's being done by the Holy Spirit, but it's not glorifying Jesus, 
It's not lifting up the name of the Son of God so that people can come to know him through repentance. Then it's not the Holy Spirit. The old phrase, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't throw the Holy Spirit out because people have used him wrong or, or attempted to manipulate him or abuse others by him or completely neglect him. Don't neglect him because of a bad experience. Go back to the word of God and say, okay, there is a Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is a he, not an it. He's not some vague, mystical, spiritual force like something you find in Star Wars. Although the force, the choke, that would be pretty convenient if we could pull that off. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is the third person of the Trinity. And Jesus sent him. You can read John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 to learn all about this. He sent him to tell us about him. To glorify him. To lift him up. To teach us, to remind us the things that he has said. Also to do miraculous things. See, when we neglect the Holy Spirit, what we're doing is we're neglecting God. The Holy Spirit is God as the Son is and as the Father is. We're neglecting God. And God can do miraculous things. God can heal people. Where it's gotten... Manip what's been changed and, and tainted is, is God will always heal. No, God will not always heal. Some will over-spiritualize it. Well, God heals when you go to be with heaven. That's true. But for somebody who's suffering through something right now, it's not the best comfort. Oh, so you're saying that when I'm dead, then I'll be healed? Thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Can God heal? Yes. Is there a magic formula that makes him heal? No. No. God will heal when he wants to, when it will most glorify him. God will heal whom he chooses to heal. God will give to whom he chooses to give to. See, we as a culture, we see only those types of things as miracles. When someone, learns the, when someone understands the gospel and gives their life to Jesus and begins to live for him, that is a miracle. I want you to, to see today that if you believe in Jesus, that if you are living for him today, something miraculous has happened in your life. You were destined for hell and God saved you from that. That is miraculous in every sense of the word. That you didn't know the truth and now you do. That you were destined for death, but now you're destined for life. That's a miracle. And by neglecting the Holy Spirit because other people have abused him and abused others through him, or at least tried to through him, is to neglect God, to run away from God. And we don't want to do that. We need to become more re-familiar with the Holy Spirit and what he does. Things like speaking in tongues. That's going to freak out some of you because you've seen it abused. Seeing something abused doesn't make it wrong. It makes the abuse wrong. But the act of speaking in tongues is not wrong. Biblical. The Holy Spirit empowers us to tell about Jesus, to talk about Jesus. Just this week, I was sharing Jesus with somebody. Beforehand, I was very scared. 
well, I don't know if they're going to receive it really well. They might not be my friend anymore. They might not be my friend. They might not like me. They might think I'm crazy. So I prayed, Lord, help the words come out of my mouth. Help me just to preach what I already know. And I did. And I don't think they know Jesus anymore, any more than they already did. But I was, when I was done, I was just praising Jesus. The Holy Spirit helped me to get over myself to preach life to somebody. Whether they receive it or not at this point, it's all up to God. That's, that's God's job. But I didn't want to be one of the ones that shrunk back. That said, no, I, I'm too embarrassed. I'm, I, don't, I don't want to. This is uncomfortable. This is awkward. Blah, blah, blah. You ever felt like that? Not fun, is it? Got to get through that. The Holy Spirit empowers us or enables us to do that. He enables us to live like Jesus. See, we're, we're following after the perfect example, and we're imperfect people. The Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we may follow after Jesus and follow him in a way that we couldn't on our own. The Holy Spirit helps us love like Jesus. I told you earlier, I was teaching my kids about Jesus cleansing the leper in Mark chapter 1. If you've ever read that story, read through it too fast, go back to it. Jesus is approached by a leper and says, Lord, if it is your will, can you make me clean? Jesus does. But Jesus does more than that. You know what he does? He touches the leper. I don't know if you know anything about leprosy. I know very little. My understanding is is that when somebody has leprosy, you don't touch them for fear of catching it yourself, from fear of being contaminated or contracting whatever they have. And so lepers would go years without human touch. Some of you, you have your moms especially with kids, and the kids are touching you all the time. You're like, I just want them to stop touching me. But then you, you go, you know what? It, it really is a sign of affection. It's this bonding. It's this closeness. And when you go more than just a few gosh, hours, maybe even days without that kind of physical touch, you begin to, the, the loneliness increases. You know, it's scientifically proven that if a waitress just touches the arm of their customer, their tips skyrocket. And this leper had not been touched for who knows how long. Jesus comes in and touches him. Because Jesus had a love for people that we can't muster up on our own. See, we'll we'll hug our kids. We'll shake hands with those we're cordial with. But the, the other people, the sick, the dirty, we won't touch them. Not Jesus, though. Jesus didn't care. Jesus just went in there and gave himself to them. On top of that, he heals him. On top of that, he makes him clean. On top of that, he restores this man. But it starts with love. And you might be saying, Pastor Tony, I can love those who love me, but loving those who don't is really hard. I know. It is really hard. It's hard for me. That's why I depend on Jesus, to help me love those whom are unlovable. They're usually an uncle 
that are the most unlovable. I think it's part of the, the title, the role, that if you're an uncle, you've just got to be embarrassing and be unlovable. And you've got to come around and you've got to sleep on your parents' couch and things like that. Like that's the role of an uncle. And they can at times be unlovable. Maybe it's in-laws. Maybe it's old friends from high school. Maybe it's a coworker. I just can't love them. You need the Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. You need the Holy Spirit to endure. You need the Holy Spirit to get through today. You need the Holy Spirit to make it so that on the last day of your life, you will finish well. Some of you are short-sighted. You don't see the whole thing. You don't see the whole race. You don't see that there's a, there's a lifetime before you of choices and, and, and options and going left or right or choosing A or B. And today you might be doing really well, but you're going to need Jesus then too. And the Holy Spirit helps us to endure so that, that whether we're feeling up and great or whether we're down here and we're just walking through the valley of the shadow of death, as Psalm 23 says, that we endure and that we persevere. Because our human nature is to give up when things gets, gets too hard. So lastly, how are we foolish? We just lack faith in Jesus. Paul says twice, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Again, in verse five, he says basically the same thing. How did you receive the spirit? The spirit we just talked about. How did you receive him? Through works of the law or by hearing with faith? The act of hearing and preaching and telling is how God saves people. We share the gospel. People hear it. They get saved. Now, I'm not diminishing the Holy Spirit in this, but he's called us to preach the gospel, to proclaim the word of God. And he will do everything else. We speak, he does stuff. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God or by the word of Christ. We tell people about Jesus so that they might be saved. And oftentimes we just lack the faith to just do that. Or we have faith in the desired outcome, not faith in Jesus. And there's a difference. Where's your faith? Is your faith in what you want or is your faith in Jesus Christ? There's a difference. And I, wanna, I want to have you go back to the right one, which is have faith in Jesus. The outcome is up to him, right? But I want you to know Jesus. So what do we do? How do we respond? Well, we go back to the gospel. I would encourage you that as we go through this, read the, read the book of Galatians. Try to read it every day. <gasps> the whole book? Yeah, it's like six chapters. Come on. Read three chapters a day. Break it up, okay? Read the book of Galatians every day. Hear the gospel. See, see Paul, how he's trying to recalibrate everything, to get everything back focused on Jesus. Find in your life where you have veered off the path Chronological snobbery would say, oh, those are those people. They're so foolish. Paul is so right. And that's chronological snobbery. That's what C.S. Lewis called it. 
Basically, those people were so foolish. We're so enlightened. We're so smart. No, we're not. We are these people just thousands of years later. So where, do you, where, is, where in your life has the gospel been tainted and manipulated? What teachings have come in? Where do you lack faith? Where is Jesus not reigning supreme? Where is, where is your faith? Ask yourself these hard, quest, these hard questions. What do I really believe? Do, why do I believe? Do I believe so that I, that I don't hurt anymore? Or do I believe because Jesus is God? And thus, he gives my pain a purpose. Ask yourself these questions. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be like the rest of the country and avoid them. Anybody here ever ever had to stand up to a bully? Not fun. Not the best day. You go home, you tell mom and dad, there's a bully. You got to stand up to him. Really? That's like the best thing you've got to give me? You know what? It's true. And many of us are just bullied by the questions we don't want to ask. There's only one way to get past a bully, whether it's a person or a set of questions, is to stand up and to go right through them, to ask these questions and to seek Jesus in them. Let's stand. As Ben comes up to play some music, I want to pray with you. Some of you might might be asking these questions for the very first time. I've done my best to make my lifestyle all about asking these questions as frequently as possible. Not because I'm super awesome or anything like that. I've just learned really early on that I'm not super awesome and that I need Jesus and I don't want to waste time in the wrong thing. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize I've taught or preached the wrong message. And I'm hoping you're at that place too. If we're going to be used to bring transformation to this area through the Holy Spirit, then we've got to be able to preach the gospel. That means first we have to know the gospel. This last Wednesday we talked about teachers in our church leadership series. Teachers teach what they know. If you don't know Jesus, you can't teach Jesus. If you don't know the gospel, you can't preach the gospel. So I want to pray with you. Heavenly Father, Lord God, bring us back to the gospel, to the simple good news that you sent your son to this earth to live a perfect and sinless life, to die for sinful men, to bear a cross that was ours so that we may live and have eternal life and be adopted into your family. That our names might be changed from sinner to saint. Lord, I'm praying that even today people would give their lives to you. Whether it be the first time or a rededication, that they give their lives to you all over again. That there are the, if there are those who have not been baptized, that you'd move them to baptism like the Ethiopian eunuch, that they would say, what prevents me from being baptized? That they'd express their faith in your son, Jesus, through baptism. Lord, I pray, forgive us for preaching or teaching the wrong gospel, especially myself, Lord. 
keep us on the path of truth that we may never have to hear the words, Oh, foolish South Bay Chapel. Oh, foolish preacher or teacher. Oh, foolish Christian. I thank you, Lord, that even when we're fools, you forgive us. And Jesus, may you be high and lifted up that all men may be drawn into you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.